0: Hey guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. Today we have Ashley Stahl. She is a career expert, right? But you were a mm-hmm. counterterrorism expert in your in your previous life. Is that correct? Basically the deal. And first of all, I guess my first obvious question is, how did you ricochet from being in the counterterrorism world to then being a career person and a career expert? It's very very different.
1: I know, I know. I feel like that's the truth of who we really are, though. I feel like who we are is such multifaceted beings, and in the same way, a plant is like a growing organism. So are we, with our skin cells like shedding every seven years for a new body. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, um, I started in counterterrorism because I remember in college going to the career services office and trying to figure out with the with the lady there, like, what do I want to do? Who do I want to be when I grow up? And I remember she gave gave me all those like three worded directives, like. Do what you love and follow your bliss. And, you know, and I remember leaving like way more confused than I even began and just feeling so confused. And it wasn't until way later that I would realize there's a huge difference between being interested in something and being a happy consumer of something and being a successful producer of something. So, you know, I love consuming fashion politics. That does not mean I'm meant to be a fashion designer or a politician. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. at the time, I chose three majors because I just, not because I was an overachiever, but more because I didn't know what to commit to. Like I was scattered. So I picked French history and government. And it was during the time where we were looking for Osama bin Laden. And I've always had a protector in me. And it's so interesting because in 2008, I was living in France. And I'll never forget it. There was like this pouring rainy day. Nobody was out except for this one couple. They had an umbrella, they had a baby, and the the man, I think it was her husband, hit her across the face like in, in broad daylight, like pretty aggressively, and she had this baby crying in one of those little things that the baby like a kangaroo situation that the baby's in. And I wanted to save her, you know, I wanted to be helpful, but instead I made a career decision about her. And I think in that moment I felt like this mama bear and me wanted to to protect her and wanted to be a protector in general. Mm. And the highest level of being a protector, I thought, was working in national security. So I gave everything to my career. I learned languages, Dari, Arabic, I'm bilingual in French. And when I finally got to the Pentagon, I realized, wow, I'm an amazing job hunter. Every single friend in the recession came to me when I got all these job offers. Better students than I was but I'm way too sensitive to be sitting here in the Pentagon. And it was the worst feeling ever after putting so many years of education into it. And I know a lot of people feel that way where it was like, what have I been up to? Like, why am I here? I I can't hold a gun, let alone I wanted to be in the CIA. I I thought I was going to save the world and be helpful at the highest level I knew how. And then I realized like, I wasn't, my core values were in direct competition with who that role needed me to be.
0: I was going to say something. I wanted to ask you about core values versus core skill set, which you talk about mm-hmm. in your book. But I wanted to first kind of like continue with what you said, because I think when you, what you first said was, I think what a big trap is for people, because a really big hashtag trending thing is follow your passion. And Ugh. people like to me, it's like, what do you mean follow your, that's such an arbitrary thing. Like, you're right. Like follow your passion. You're right. Like I, you can like, I can like a lot of things. I like to watch trashy TV. Doesn't mean I want to be a real housewife. So, right. you know, you know, I think that what happens is we're given these platitudes and then we blindly follow versus yeah. understanding and knowing what our true core skill set is and really making you know, our career, what we're good at, and then whatever we like, keep them as hobbies. But that was what I was going right. to say.
1: Yeah, I love that. I feel like core, okay, so every chapter of my book and, and the message of the book is don't do what you love. Like, don't follow your passion, do what you <laughs> are. And so all 12 chapters of the book are geared towards helping you figure out who is that? And how do I bring that into my career? And two core facets of that are core values and your core skill sets. So there's kind of two, maybe I want to say three Big dynamics in your career. Okay. The first one is the how, and the second one is the what, and the third one is your energy levels. So here's what I mean the what is about what are you doing? Mm -hmm. What is your skill set? According to research, we are good at what we're good at, right? Like we move quickly in careers where we're aligned with our skill set, and it feels good to do good, it feels good to be good. And I think that we notice when somebody's really working in their zone of genius. Because Mm -hmm. those sorts of workers are noticeable. Like you're like, oh, wow, you're really clicked into a skill set you've got. Those people get so many opportunities in their career, and opportunities can kind of be a form of distraction. So once you've figured out what you're good at, it's really about the tasks that you carry out best, how you're using your body, mind, heart, your energy. And that's why I think your interest is really interesting. Like, let's say you're into fashion, but that to me is the backdrop, not the foreground. The foreground of your career is how are you using your skills? So that's the what. What are you doing? The second piece is the how. That goes to how do you work best. Given that 50% of people leave their job because they don't like their boss, or you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you know, it's a pretty shocking statistic. A lot of people, if, if they leave you, maybe it's because they don't like you. It's it's very powerful to take that leadership and really self-reflect on how you show up with your people. Mm-hmm. And so given that that's true, we can assume that how your situation looks. Is, matter- is mattering just as much as what your situation is. So, you know, whatever your skill set is, whatever your job is you're carrying out, whatever your business is, how it looks matters. So the question is, what are your core values? And I think a lot of people struggle with this because they're too aspirational in the values they picked. It's, it's interesting. In one of the chapters of my book, I have a whole core values list. And when readers come to me, I found that we're not Very good at determining our own core values. I think that we get too focused on what we want to be and not who we are. So, to me, your core values are the non negotiable ingredients by which you live your life and they make you you. So, for example, my core values are fun like, take fun away and I'm not here. Um, (laughs) Connection like, I can't, like, I die a little bit when I can't really connect with people. You'll see me get quiet. It's like the weirdest thing. People who know me are like, what's going on? It's because a core value went out the door, you know?
0: Yeah. And I'm so with you I on that one for sure. Connection. Yeah. Connection. I actually even did your quiz on your website about, uh-huh. you take, you're like, take the quiz and so, to help yeah. you kind of figure out where you should be career wise. Obviously I knew you were coming on my podcast and mm-hmm. you answered, like that was a question I saw a lot about the connection piece. That was a big through line Because it's true. I think that if that's a core value of somebody and you're not getting that, that's also with life, not just with your career. It's a big one. Right.
1: Well, that's a really cool thing to look at is can you bring some of this core value into your life? Do you need it in your career? I think the problem with people's career is when it violates their core values. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's say you know your top five core values. And I think having conversations with people that love you and know you are helpful. For that like hey do you think what do you think my core principles you know and values are Are they family authenticity balance whatever
0: right and by right. the way
1: define them because you know i had a client in my private practice he told me adventure was a core value and for him that meant skydiving and then this other girl said adventure and for her it meant trying new restaurants in miami so like define <laughs> the values my friends <laughs> but that's hilarious
0: yeah it's, it's all relative i guess to who you're talking to right
1: it is, and it's interesting because I think that if your job has four or three of your core values, that's one thing that's not a bad thing. It's not about you having all your values in your job. But I think when your job violates a core value, that's when you're bound to be in a lot of pain. So for example, um, connections a core value, and I'm sitting in the Pentagon where I need to lie about who I am if I want to advance in my career because I was on the path to being in the Central Intelligence Agency. You can't tell people what you're up to. How can I be in connection when somebody asks me how my day was and I can't tell them anything about my day or how I'm feeling or why I'm feeling that way. So that was just one of a bajillion thoughts that I had when I was in national security. But
0: Wait, how old were you? Because you don't seem like very old. So I mean, when when were you doing this?
1: I'm 36 now. I was 23 then.
0: Okay. So you were really young. Was it like your first, Mm -hmm. like, so you were kind of, was that? a job that you got right out of school and you were kind of just blurting your way back then. And you made that pivot pretty, pretty early on. Maybe then I was kind
1: of ushered into a leadership role. So basically what happened, if you work in the government, it's kind of like a chicken or egg situation with a security clearance. Like you can't get a security, national security job unless you have a security clearance but you can't get a security clearance unless you have a government job. Like they're not just going to give that to you. So it's it's a real chicken or the eggs. That's why you see a lot of military people who go into the government because they already have that clearance.
0: All right. Okay.
1: So I went in the back door and I got in through defense contracting because private companies that have these big government contracts, the only difference between me at the Pentagon and someone that got hired directly through the government was I had a pink badge and they had a white badge to get into the building. And my job was going to expire in five years. And there's just keeps on going because they're on government payroll. Oh. What I loved, what it was like, it was the private sector, but it was still the public sector. So I kind of got the perks of both. I got a higher paycheck, but it was more risky because I was a shorter term hire for five years. All of it said, going in to defense, they had had uh, a lot of colonels in my role, like out of the military. But the problem was that they were taught to delegate and they did that really well. But they needed somebody in my shoes Um, in that position that wanted to do the work themselves, like wanted to get their hands dirty. Yeah. So I ended up getting this huge opportunity in a leadership position at 23. And before that, I was an admin assistant answering phones in Los Angeles after I finished my graduate degree, just kind of like waiting for my big moment. But yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I was talking about your your core skill set, which we've talked about, and then your core values being violated, and then your energy levels. So to finalize the core values being violated, You know, let's say your core skill set is words, which is definitely mine. You know, like I've actually in the past year, speaking of pivots, because my TED talk changed my career so much, like it went so viral. I started getting booked on speaking tours, I started helping people write speeches. I actually wrote 40 TED talks last year and booked 39 on stage. So it's been really interesting because I'm coming back to words, which brings me to my next piece is like, let's say you have a words person who's an extrovert, because that's another thing is, are you introverted or extroverted? that goes back to my third piece around energy levels. So I'm an introverted words person. That means that you're probably not going to see me as energized by being on stage as I am being behind my laptop and typing. Like truly, Mm. I loved writing my book. I love podcasting. It's like so much more like one-on-one, more on my terms versus like being at a conference, which kind of kills me a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now instead of being the person on on stage, like I used to be, I'm behind all the people on stage and it's so much more fun for me. But let's say you're an extrovert and you're a words person and you're doing a sales job and you're totally into cars and it's like in the automotive space. But let's say that you feel like your company has no integrity and integrity is a core value for you. And like you you feel like you're selling your soul a little bit to like go with. So your skills are right. The job is right. They're using you right. But your values are being violated. So I think that that's something for people to really take a look at. And then when it comes to energy levels, there's a couple of things. A, what I said like introvert or extrovert because that shares with you how your core skill set is going to be harnessed in the world. And a lot of people whether they're business owners or corporates, they'll be like, "What title do I want to be?" or "What service do I want to offer?" And I'm like, "Your core skill set is your umbrella that you're going to operate under in your whole career. So you don't need to know what the title is of what you're doing as much as how you're using your skills." So energy levels, introvert extrovert, also just your physicality, like I got bit by two Lyme ticks, like not one, but two in my life. And I don't wow. have that many symptoms from, I know it's like, was I meant to have Lyme disease? <laughs> Do you have, have Lyme disease? Symptoms. Yeah. I mean, once you get bit, you have it for life. It's just a matter of if it's awake or asleep. Like it's, it's oh. like, that's why people who have like car accidents, it shakes things up in their body and the dormant Lyme cells like come yeah. out to play. So I just have to be taking care of myself, eating an anti-inflammatory diet, All of this plays into my energy. And I remember in middle school, after my first tick bite, I got sick easily because I didn't realize at the time I was immunocompromised. So I remember in my head thinking like, how am I ever going to be in the workforce? Because sometimes I would get a cold that would last for like six or seven weeks. I'd lose my voice entirely. And that really fueled me into entrepreneurship. So I think for anyone listening, it's like these three spokes are like, I feel like 85% of the game. Like... What's your skill? What do you value? What's your energy level? Because physically I know that, and that's what I didn't love when I was going on speaking tours. I still love speaking. I just do it less often because it's, I can't sustain it energetically. But yeah, I used to get on stage and I would fall asleep for 24 hours after that because I was just so taken out. Oh,
0: wow. And
1: yeah, yeah, it it just was like, oh, this isn't how my body is going to thrive. I can't keep this up. This isn't aligned with the truth of what I can do and who I can be.
0: So if you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I do not mess around when it comes to anti-aging or longevity. And I absolutely love realistic things you can do every day to help support the process easily. And I've recently started taking a brand new omega-3 supplement called Green Fat. Green Fat was created by the founder of Perfect Bar, and he basically knocked it out of the park. They're all about anti-anti-aging, or as they call it, pro-aging, which of course I can definitely get behind. And it's made a big difference in my overall well-being. If you guys didn't know, healthy fats or omega-3s are key to your everyday function, and it's also known to improve your skin, your hair, your eyes, your joints, your cognitive functioning, and your cardiovascular health. And I absolutely love the fact that it's packed with five essential fatty acids, as opposed to most omega-3 supplements only have two or three. I'm telling you guys, this is a real game changer. Go to greenfat.com with the code HUSTLE20, and you'll get 20% off your order. And the best part is, they offer you a money-back guarantee with free shipping, meaning they'll refund every penny you paid for it if you do not feel a difference within two weeks. So you're trying it totally risk-free. So remember, go to greenfat.com and use the code HUSTLE20. And let me tell you, you will thank me later. I wanna take a quick break from this episode to thank our sponsor, Therisage. Their tri-light panel has become my favorite biohacking thing for healing my body. It's a portable red light panel that I simply cannot live without. I literally bring it with me everywhere I go. And I personally use their red light therapy to help reduce inflammations in places in my body where honestly, I have pain. You can use it on a sore back, stomach cramps, shoulder, ankle. Red light therapy is my go-to. Plus, it also has amazing anti-aging benefits, including reducing signs of fine lines and wrinkles on your face, which I also use it for. I personally use Therasage TriLight everywhere and all the time. It's small, it's affordable, it's portable, and it's really effective. Head over to therasage.com right now and use code BEBOLD. For 15% off, this code will work site-wide. Again, head over to Therasage, T-H-E-R-A-S-A-G-E.com and use code Bold for 15% off any of their products. Well, well how about this though? Because you said core values, you talked about core skill set. you talked about energy levels. What about core nature? I know you talk about core nature in your book too. What is that?
1: Yeah. I believe that your core nature, it's kind of like a layer cake. And this is almost like the base layer. It's the energy you bring to the room when you walk in. Mm, So, you know, if you ask people who get a good sense of you, whether it's friends, family, your parents, people that you feel like really have a good pulse on your, your vibe, Hey, how would you describe how the room changes when I walked in? Like, what is the energy I'm bringing? Okay. I remember when I was at the Pentagon, this woman, she was such a gem, Jeanette. I talk about her in my book. And a lot of my book is stories, but with the goal of making these points, core values, core skills, that's really demonstrating them for people to self-apply. But I remember Jeanette, she said to me, Ashley, when you walk into the room, like you're so bold, you're so communicative, you're so wise, like people light up when you come in here. And (laughs) you know, there's not a lot of windows in the Pentagon unless you're like really important military person. And so you know, it really meant a lot to hear that. Like you bring sunshine, she was saying, and it it hit different because there is no sunshine. Like you, there's no windows. So I just remember feeling like, oh, thanks for saying that about me. And when I started asking other people, like, how is the room different when I come in? They're like, you're really warm. You're pretty bold. Like you're, you're fiery. You're very wise. You're very deep. And I feel like people can feel that pretty quick. And I think that that core nature lends itself to different paths. So my wisdom, Mm -hmm. my communication skills, like I have U-Turn podcast. I have the U-Turn book. Like there's so many things. Now I'm writing people's TED Talks. How many, you know, taking somebody's entire life's work and distilling it into 12 minutes and then booking them on stage or 19 minutes. It's like I'm using my core nature and my work and my core skill set. And I think that's the key to so much fulfillment.
0: Well, Yes, I get that. So basically the core nature piece of it is really about how other people perceive your energy. And so you utilize that in what you choose to do, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're like, if you're calling yourself someone who's warm and happy and sunny, it's going to be a different career path than someone who's more morbid or more, you know, serious. more serious, more conservative, yeah. more, okay, I get that. So, because you talk, okay, your book, of course, The U-Turn, is 12 Steps. But when you did your talk, your TED Talk, it was three key steps to doing a U-Turn on our lives. What are the three key steps to doing a U-Turn for someone who wants to pivot, who doesn't know how, who has misstepped, and they want to try again?
1: Yeah. I love this question because I feel like there's so many ways to make a U-Turn, and I absolutely Love TED because it's just bringing me so many magical people to see this work every single day, and I feel like I've finally gotten to a point where I care more about impact than anything else. So one of the first things is really doing a self audit, asking yourself. And I love this question, and it was it's funny because I thought of this question, and then I read Women Who Run with Wolves, and Clarissa Estes she Mm -hmm. mentioned something along these lines as well. Is what do you know that you wish you didn't know? And I think if all of us sit with that for a moment, we're all holding something inside of us that we know that maybe we spend a lot of the day trying not to know because it's really inconvenient. Being happy is such a commitment. Like it's not for the faint of heart being fulfilled. Like, you you know, you asked me right when we got on the show, you were like, Hey, how did you go from counterterrorism to career coach? Well, like I, was sitting in the Pentagon and offering all my friends career help on the weekends because they were like in the recession, better students in grad school than I was. And I just knew how to do a resume and have a networking call. So that was what I taught. And eventually that lent itself to online courses, my book deal and my podcast and, all you know, my platforms. Um, And even now it's so interesting. My, I went on a hundred podcasts to launch my book a few years ago. And I worked hard to like share the message about it, and then it just dropped in Taiwan and became like an international icon in Taiwan. And so, How it just random shows is that, that? so <laughs> random? Well, I think that's the thing. Is like we can work really hard in our career, and we should, but sometimes we just have karma somewhere else, right? Like yeah. we're being pulled places, and I feel like for me, I was being pulled towards career coaching, like people. And people would say, you should be a career coach. And I remember being like, what does that even mean? Like, you know, a coach on the side, like, do, do they stay outside of your office and like, cheer? Like, yeah. what are you talking about? And eventually, I got the courage to start my private practice. And, um, you know, I've coached hundreds of people one on one and thousands in my programs. But I feel like now, at this stage of my life, there's so much fulfillment in who I am, what I do. And I think a lot of it, comes down to knowing like your purpose moves. And are you willing to give yourself permission to be experimental in your career? Do you have a take on this? Like, how do you deal with all of your multifaceted ways of being, Jen?
0: Well, first of all, I, well, it's different. It's different and similar. I I like what you call a self audit. I call it self. I think it's one thing I kind of call it self-awareness. You got to have like a come mm-hmm. to Jesus moment with yourself is what I talk about and really have the ability to be self-aware and like know, you know, what, A, what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you like, what you don't like, and like be realistic and honest with yourself. I think that's the first step for me anyway, I'm making any pivot or any change in your life. But what you're talking about is different in the sense that you're saying mm-hmm. there's three steps just in order to even make a U-turn. Yeah. And- you're basically calling it a self-audit. What's the two other steps that you would say? What would be the two other key components if someone wants to make a Mm U-turn? And I I would say, I had no idea your book was out for many years already. How many years has it been?
1: Uh, It came out in early 2021, like January 2021. So it's been just like a couple of years.
0: Yeah. Oh, and that's when it became, so when did it become a huge sensation in Taiwan?
1: (laughs) Actually, just like uh, like maybe six months ago, I got an international deal there. And now all my courses are being licensed in Mandarin to different <laughs> so platforms funny. out there. Like, it's just been such a, it's also been really refreshing as a businesswoman. Not that I'm really a businesswoman. I feel like I'm more of a Shel Silverstein than like a Sheryl Sandberg, you know? <laughs> but it's been interesting because I'm realizing like when we work as entrepreneurs in the U.S., we're really thinking a lot about the U.S. market. Like, who's our ideal people? Where are they hanging out here? But it's been so fun for me to realize like there are other markets that are so wanting your message, your work, and it's going to take off like wildfire in those markets when you hit it right. And it's been so inspiring for me to want to help people and not to be as identified with where I'm from, but more identified with what I have to say and who I want to help. And so we're working now on deals in Korea and and different other markets, but which is a whole thing to tap into that. But the second step you'd asked about is to follow what feels good. And this sounds pretty counterintuitive because I say, don't follow your passion.
0: Don't do right. what you love.
1: And some people are going to say, well, what if, you know, what feels good is being an artist or. Right. I love well, wait, cupcakes. let me
0: just, hold on just one second. Cause I want to make sure people yeah. are, are getting the whole thing. So I asked you the three key steps to making a U-turn in your life. You said the first one is to take a self audit of your life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The second one you says, follow what feels good. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you're, and that, yeah, that does sound counterintuitive to the whole idea of follow your passion. It sounds like that's exactly yeah. what it is. It's not.
1: Right. And I think that's where people misunderstand. So, what I mean by that is we have 200 million, million neurons or so in our gut, right? Like, that's why people are calling it our second brain.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's the size of a cat or dog's brain. So, what we can imagine with that being the case is that when our stomach sinks, when we get butterflies, like when we feel pulled towards something, there's wisdom to it. And so, when I say follow what feels good, I'm talking about intuition. And for me, the definition of intuition mm, okay. is knowing what you know without knowing why you know it. So many of us have intuitive pulls from the universe towards different things. Like real, real talk. I'm actually flying to Colorado this weekend to get my. Uh, degree or my certificate in clinical herbalism because I just feel a breadcrumb about it. I'm like, I just want to know how to make teas that help me when I have a cough or I want to make herbs for my friends. Like, I'm just curious. That's it. And there's some part of me that is pulled towards it. And that's enough for me to live my life intuitively and to choose to live intuitively. It's kind of like choosing to live vulnerably. It's It's a daily choice. It's not like, you know, I, I'm going to prioritize my intuition. It's like, well, that's a whole way of life. Right, right, choosing right. Choosing what, what your body is telling you versus what, what your head is. And obviously there's a middle ground. So I think when people are feeling cut off in what they do or they, they're feeling stuck, I think the first order of business is how do you get back in your body? How do you get back to you? And I think that comes down to following what feels good. And that doesn't just mean your passion. To me, that means just getting back to you. So when I'm off in my career, I'm not grabbing like an octopus tentacles like onto something new. That's not effective. That's like a snow globe with flurries everywhere. It's like, wait for the snow to settle and go do things that make you feel like you. Who are the people, the places, the things that make you feel like you? Go do those. What are the nudges that you're getting? Follow the breadcrumbs. Did you have a conversation with people? Conversations are one of the most powerful things you can do when you hit a plateau, like You don't need to have it with experts either. Like I always tell myself when I feel stuck in my life, I need to have more conversations because conversations give you new thoughts and new thoughts give you clarity. And so for me, it's not like I'm on all the time when I'm in this mode, I'm just available. Like I don't have my phone in my hand when I'm in line at the grocery store. I'm just available to connect. And when I turn on that mode, it's like so many little breadcrumbs come my way and it's not about being scattered, but it's about really tuning into like, How do I start to feel good again? How do I start to feel like me again? Um, So that's what I mean by the second
0: step. And what's the third step?
1: The third and final
0: step, which
1: I mean, I could talk about U-turns forever, but is engagement. Like, you know, I feel like there's something really toxic in the self-development world about we have so much awareness, right? Like, I was just interviewing Catherine Woodward Thomas from the Conscious Uncoupling book yesterday for my podcast. She was saying. She's like, so many people are like, well, I'm this way because my dad did this when I was a kid. and did She's like, that's all very valid. But what I'm looking at is 30 minutes ago, why did you do that? And yes, all that stuff has something to do with it, but you're still doing it 30 minutes ago and it's yours now. So it's like really taking a look at these present things and not having this toxic level of awareness where it's like, well, this is why all this is happening. Well, cute. But like the growth is where the rubber hits the road, where you actually just choose differently, even when your body feels really bad and you're doing it. That's the growth. So, you know, doubt doesn't mean don't. And stepping back does not mean stepping down. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes we need to back up. And people sometimes feel like, oh, I'm backing down in my career. No, you're not. You're course correcting. And, you know, there's this whole thing around nonlinear careers. And I think there's so much wisdom to that. Like, we are not linear beings. Mm -hmm. You know, our, our interests move over time. And, you know, even when we look at the college system, kids are coming in at 18, you know, years old. It's like, how are they supposed to know what they're interested in or what their skills are? Like, they've never done anything in the workforce. And they feel all this pressure to somehow know. It's like telling your kid to marry their first crush in preschool Absolutely. it just doesn't make sense
0: yeah i agree with you I'm super excited to share my latest health obsession with you guys. It's called Metabolic Daily by Pendulum. Metabolic Daily is a powerful multi-strain probiotic that really improves your metabolism, reduces your sugar cravings, breaks down carbs more efficiently, and sustains your energy. I've been taking Metabolic Daily for a few months and it's unbelievable the results I've seen. Not only do I never struggle with my cravings, but I'm seeing a huge improvement in my body composition from breaking down carbs more effectively. I love Pendolin because they are really disrupting the probiotic market with clinically studied strains that aren't available anywhere else. They were founded by PhD scientists and are backed by the Mayo Clinic and Halle Berry, who recently became their chief communications officer because of the results that she's seen. They're the only company with, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, it's called Acromancia, a next generation strain that's called the Keystone Strain for gut health. You can get it as a single strain or in metabolic daily. Plus you guys can take 20% off your first month of any Pendulum product membership with this code, Jen Cohen. So go now to PendulumLife.com and use my code at checkout. Trust me, you will feel incredible. I think there's a, a, a huge thing with non-linear. I think there's a lot of pressure. I mean, I, I agree with lots of different things that you're talking about, and I talk about it a lot in my podcast and or in my conversations with friends or whoever is I also think there's a lot of noise. And mm-hmm. what's happening a lot with social media is I think there is a lot of this in personal development is finding the reasons why you're doing what you're doing and like staying there. Like it's getting yeah. stuck. You're getting stuck in that moment you know, versus, you know, not using that as a crutch to why you behave a certain way now, today, in this moment. Um, I talk about this a lot. So, I I agree. So, let me ask you something else. Okay. So, in your book, we're getting back to your book again. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about charisma and influence Mm -hmm. because you talk about that and how do you talk about how we make it a lasting impression? How do you own the room? Can you Mm -hmm. give my audience simple, actionable ways that they can own a room, how they can make, you know, make a lasting impression, especially as a career coach? Like, what would you tell somebody in a very simplified way, you know, yeah. how to do this if you can? Uh,
1: yeah. Okay. So one of the most simple, minimal things you could do if you just forget everything we talked about and you remember this is I look at everyone in the world, like they're my uncle's friend. It's like we somehow <laughs> are connected through some important people. And I owe you basic courtesy, but I don't know you well enough to, like, be weird,
0: you know? <laughs>
1: so, uh, and, I, and with that mindset comes this warmth of, like, oh, you're my uncle's friend. And that's how I look at everyone in the world.
0: Am I your uncle's so, friend? I mean,
1: you're a little more because we have the same network and we both know Hala. We have all these mutual friends. So, like, you're, like, a mutual friend. Okay. a bunch of friends. So, like, that feels even more easy for me.
0: I'm like your um, mom's friend or like your sister's no. friend or like your sister's friend like it's a closer person than an uncle. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, okay, I got um, you.
0: I got it. From a tactical perspective,
1: I would say care about your elevator pitch. Like people feel like sometimes being premeditated about what you're going to say would be inauthentic, but the root off you know of authentic off author, the Latin root goes back to the idea of to create. And I think being intentional about what you create is one of the most authentic things you can do. So, you know, one of the most botched networking opportunities, interview opportunities, whether you're an entrepreneur, whatever have you, is your elevator pitch, because everybody's going to ask you to tell, tell them about yourself. And it might not sound as cut and dry, right? Like, not everybody's going to say, tell me about you. But sometimes they will. You need to train your ear to hear the invitation for it. The invitation could sound like, what brought you here? you know, why are you interested in this conference? Like, whatever. It's all an invite into an elevator pitch. So number one, you know, after you realize everybody's your uncle's friend, <laughs> start to think about your elevator pitch and, and write it down before you go places and really sit with it and short short and sweet. You know, you don't need to be lengthy, kind of like lean in like my grandpa when he's about to tell way too long of a story. <laughs> yeah. But I would say the first piece is your story. And there's four parts to an elevator pitch. And I really flush these out in the book, but I feel like just giving everybody a little takeaway here. Your story is what lines you up to your career. And it could be from one of two things. It can be from your upbringing. Like who have you been your whole life that ties to your career? Mm -hmm. Or it could be a defining moment. So what is the through line of your career? Like let's say you're working in PR, but you want to do business development at a tech company. It's a little bit different. What's the through line? It's people. It's like PR is all about relationships. Business development is all about relationships. So how can you talk about how you've been all about people since you were a little kid? Or how can you talk about a defining moment where you realize like people are all that matter and like that's who you want to be navigating all day long? So for me at the Pentagon, people were like, tell me about you. It was like pretty cut and dry. And I was like, well, I grew up in a house where the news was always on. And from a really young age, I knew what was going on in the world. Like, it just felt like my whole life brought me to be sitting in that interview chair. If I'm in media interviews, I'm a spokesperson for SoFi for the past four years. They send me on a lot of TV interviews. You would, I would, I'm surprised by how many journalists will say, like, just tell me about you. And I'm like sitting on a four-minute TV segment, like, well, I better be succinct and like get something out of this and add value out of this. So first your story, maybe one line, not long, maybe about how you grew up, your defining moment. And then I would say your cuff. Your cuff is the thing. This is more for job interviews, the cuff. So those of you who are entrepreneurs, you can think about this one. It bolsters you as a candidate or it explains a weakness. So you can say like, I grew up in a house where the news was always on from a young age. I've been so captivated by what's going on in the world. Then your cuff. My cuff was you want to look at one of two things. Number one, is there a shortcoming in who you are for the person. So let's say you want a business opportunity and you're an entrepreneur and you know that there's a ton of other more qualified people for that company to do business with, but you want your company to be the one they pick. You need to have a cuff that either strengthens you. So like for me at the Pentagon, my cuff was like, you know, I've spent the past three years learning Dari, Arabic and French. Like they want to know that I'm fluent in all languages. Like what's my, what's my strengthener? If I didn't speak any languages, I would need to think, well, what can I say to address this weakness? Right. something like, you know, I've always been really quick to learn languages and I've been doing something for that right now. Like, how can I address this concern? So you have to decide, are you bolstering or are you addressing a concern? And then I think the third thing is the skill. So like if everything you knew was a bowl of cherries, what's the one that the person talking to wants to eat? So like when I was interviewing for my spokesperson role with SoFi, like what's the thing they want to hear? Well, they probably want to hear that I could talk in sound bites. And I can think on my feet because they're putting me on media tours, right? So it's like I looked at my bullet of cherries, like, okay, I'm really good at writing blog posts. I'm really good at writing TED Talks. I'm really good at giving TED Talks. Okay, what do they need from me? Okay, they need sound bites. Like they're putting me on three minute TV things. So that was the cherry I handed over, you know, after my cuff. So, you know, one thing I'm really excited about is like speaking in sound bites, like really getting your message out quickly to the masses.
0: That's what they want to hear. Right. So Um, why, why SoFi? I'm I'm confused by that one, to be honest. Like why, if you're a career person, a career expert, why would SoFi hire you as a spokesperson? Not to be, I'm just curious. I don't get the the connection, you know? Yeah, Yeah,
1: for sure. Cause SoFi is, for those of you who don't know SoFi, they're a financial lending platform. The reason that they hired me as their
0: spokesperson was because, okay. Tell me. Okay, sorry, sorry. Yeah.
1: They have like um, so many money experts in house. So it's really easy for them to pitch to the media, like, come talk to our chief financial officer. Mm -hmm. And like, that person's going to have financial advice. But they needed someone who could give fulfillment and career advice so that they could get more members. And so they would put me on the news as SOFI's resident career expert and spokesperson as a way to have new content getting out there that attracts new members for their services.
0: So what is the money blueprint? Because you do talk, not to, it's a great segue into the money blueprint that you talk about in your yeah. book, right? So I get the connection. So what is it? What is the money blueprint?
1: Yeah, I feel like we all grow up with a thermostat that's set by our parents. Like our parents are so where true. they are with money. They're, yeah, like, I, you know, it's interesting. I had this moment the other day, I drove past this house in Malibu and I remember my dad, he lost all of his money when I was a kid. Like he had a huge financial firm. Smith Barney tried to buy him out. He said no, and then they just slowly bought his talent to cross the street. And he just like slowly died as a business owner. So we lost almost everything. And in that time, I remember financial things felt bigger to him than they even were. So he would go buy houses and be like, Oh, that house is like ten million dollars. Like that's just like But then I had this moment recently as an adult where I drove past one of those houses and there was a sale sign and I saw that it was 2.7. And I was like, okay, it's not to say $2.7 million is nothing, but that's a pretty big price difference. And so I think that came down to his thermostat. It was like everything that was like a financial expense that he wanted felt so big to him when he lost all of his money that he made the things he couldn't have seem even more far away. And that influenced my thermostat, right? Like As a kid, like I would just automatically look at things and be like, whoa, that's like really hard to get. And so as an adult, it's been such a rewiring for me. So when it comes to your money blueprint, I think everyone has one. A lot of publishers wanted me to write about this originally, but I just was so much more called to fulfillment and career clarity. But, you know, I think the first question, and I think a lot of professionals might come on here and say, like, what was the conversation like? in your life in your house about success about money. I had this business coach once and her little kid interrupted our session and he was so cute and she was like, "Hey honey, like we're working, like we're not going to be done for two more hours. Go see your dad." And he was like, "One day I'm going to have so many clients." And I just <laughs> remember being like, "What a great thermostat." You know, like and it makes sense that he thought that. He's watching his mom make money all day long. She was a really competent woman. So I think that these, and she's very confident with money. And so, you know, I'm 36 years old. I was living in my parents' domain until I was like totally done with college at like 21, 22, right? Mm-hmm. So I've still spent more years in my parents' thinking than my own.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. I And I agree. We, uh, that's a great point. It's so true. And we get, we get that, that rubs off on us in a very true way as we, like as adults. Right. So, yeah. And the other thing I wanted to ask you is, cause I like this part is let's talk about the, I want to talk about the word realist, you know, people who yeah. are practical.
1: How, mm-hmm. What's your
0: take on that? I love this part. I love this.
1: Yeah. I feel like I, I said in my Ted talk, people who call themselves realists are often just dreamers who got their hearts broken somewhere along the way. And I truly feel that like, I feel like we use this idea of being realistic as like a mask to manage our expectations, to keep us from being vulnerable and put ourselves out there. Like, am I able to be a lawyer next week? No, like that is not realistic. I need to get a degree. There's legitimate things that the society will not let me do it. It's illegal. Right. So there are things that are not realistic but I think we are way too loose with ourselves and what we tell ourselves is not realistic. So I've been on a mission with myself to really question my thoughts. And even some of that comes with like the money mindset stuff, like, you know, launching new offers. Like, you know, one of the things I've learned as a business owner is, you know, it's realistic for us to create a plus things. But we operate in seasons as humans. So I've probably created a few things in my career that I'm like, this is freaking A plus. Like I can I can create a 93%, a 94% in a lot of my stuff, which for someone who's not an expert in my stuff, it's like 120%, right? Mm-hmm. But to hold myself accountable to an A plus plus, like to really bleed for something. Like I bled for my book, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we only can create so much art. And so I do believe that we are only so capable all the time. Like we Mm -hmm. do operate in seasons, but I think we really sell ourselves short by being like, that's not realistic. I'm not going to go do that. And it's like, well, ask the 10 other people with the same qualifications as you that went and did it anyway.
0: Right. So you you think of it as like a defense mechanism that we use because Yeah. yeah, I like the, I just like the way you worded it. So I wanted you to talk about that and and say Thank that you. on this podcast no you're welcome where is the book i had it here and now it's not but the book, do you have it there can you show people the u turn podcast my little I,
1: I almost wonder if i don't even have it it's a bright
0: it's a bright yellow, yellow book sunbeam
1: you cannot miss it y
0: o u turn yes and it's called well exactly it's a great book your pot. you also have a podcast called the u turn podcast mm-hmm. correct and again like we have very similar outlooks and it's about the reframe and how you package it and the way you word it. And I think you have some really great nuggets in that book. I really enjoyed reading it and I really appreciate you coming on this podcast and sharing some of your ideas and thoughts with us.
1: That means so much. Thank you for having me. I feel like you're doing such cool work. I'm really excited to have you on my show and just to like, I don't know, hear your perspective on these things. Cause even though we're similar, these nuances I think are so important for people listening and yeah. Yeah. Thank you again.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you're right. It's all about the nuance, right? Like how, you know, you could be saying some, we could be saying the same thing, but how it lands on somebody the way I say it, you say it, this person saying it, you know, just a little tweak and it makes a difference in in, in a way, but we are so aligned in how we perceive the world. How do people find you, your book, you, everything? Yeah.
1: Okay. So everything's at my website, ashleystall.com. Take the quiz. Find, yeah, I've got my <laughs> quiz there for your career path, everything about my one-on-one coaching, my courses, writing TED Talks and booking people. It's And there's just a lot of free resources on there, which you know is, is what it's all about. So I'm excited for everyone to head on over there and, and message me on Instagram. Let me know what you think.
0: You know what's really funny? And we could talk with us at The Gumball. I mean- my TED Talk did very well as well. Not one person ever asked me to, re- to write a TED Talk for them. I don't know where you're getting all this business with people asking mm-hmm. you to write. And we, could, you and I had a very similar thing. We both did Forbes and this. The, I haven't gotten yeah. one request to write a That's TED Talk. That's so
1: interesting.
0: <gasps> I yeah. Know.
1: I. It started with my business coaching clients. A lot of them were like, I really want to pursue this. Yeah, that makes sense. And so... I help them brainstorm. And it's also good for your personal brand. Like, what is your message? If you only have 12 minutes, what do you care to say?
0: 16, 16 minutes.
1: Well, you could do 12, 16, 19. My strategy as a TEDx speechwriter is to write a shorter talk because who wants to have to memorize more than they have to memorize when they're a busy business person?
0: God bless you. I know. I had notes all up and down my arms like a crazy person. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was
1: 51% best thing I've ever done. 49% most terrifying,
0: worst thing ever. (sighs) Yeah, I I totally agree. Thank you so much, Ashley. It was a pleasure meeting you.
1: Thank you again. You too. And I'm excited to have you on my show.
0: Yes, right now. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Bye.
2: This episode is brought to you by the YAP Media Podcast Network.